As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live small group cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. Welcome back to Rocketship.fm. We are well underway in our season on Workplace Confessionals, and we're plugging right along with two more confessionals today. That's right. You, the listener, are at the heart of these confessions. A while back, we asked product people, what are your confessions? What are stories that you wouldn't dare share with anyone else in the product world, but might be willing to share with us anonymously? And you definitely answered. We've been getting all sorts of confessions sent to us from those struggling with real issues where some advice would be helpful to just straight up confessions, things that maybe you just wanted to get off your chest. And I'm glad that you've been getting them off your chest. Yeah, there's no right or wrong confession here. We love them all. And we'll keep highlighting some of the best ones with voice actors that we've actually hired to betray them. So 
just so you know, the secret stays safe with us. If you have a confession of your own to share, you can send it our way. Just email team at rocketship.fm. Yeah, and today we have two more good ones, and both of these are actually more career-related confessions, I'd say. Ah, the career issues are certainly always of interest, so this should be good. I agree. So let's roll that intro and get on with today's workplace confessionals here on rocketship.fm. Welcome to Rocketship.fm. Rocketship FM is produced in partnership with Product Collective. We are your hosts, Michael Saka. And I'm Mike Belsito. So once again, the confessionals are open. We have two to get into today. And again, they're both career related, it sounds like. Yes. And uh, of course, we have a guest expert to sort of help us dissect these and dig in a bit. And it's actually somebody that I consider to be a friend at this point. Yeah, who's who's that? So today's guest expert is Dan Olson. Uh, Dan is a product coach and consultant. You might know him as the author of the Lean Product Playbook, which I consider to be sort of one of the seminal books for product people, um, in my opinion anyway. It's one of the only books that I ask my students in the undergraduate product management class that I teach at Case Western Reserve University to read through every fall when I teach that class. Ah, yes. Dan. Dan's great. Uh, he's been a product leader in the past, leading teams at places like Intuit, even Friendster. Yeah, and I'm actually old enough to remember Friendster. <laughs> I, I don't really want to admit that, but I guess I just did. I mean, hey, right? Or <laughs> <laughs> We're all there. So today, Dan advises his product teams. You might also find him speaking at conferences like industry, running product workshops. He also helps run the annual Product Leader Summit every fall. Yeah, Dan was actually the very first podcast guest that I interviewed for a podcast I started a few years back called Build, Launch, Scale. Yeah, I actually remember that one. Yeah, is a product podcast. We started at Product Collective, but I was already co-hosting Rocketship with you, and Rocketship started getting geared towards products, so... We just ended up sunsetting build launch scale, so I took my time with you here, Michael. But anyway, Dan was- Appreciate it. Yeah, of course. And Dan was just that perfect first guest, sort of the perfect expert for today, too. So anyway, I thought we could dig into these career-related confessions with Dan. All right. Well, let's get into the first one, which is titled Climbing the Ladder. I took on a product manager position at a very early stage startup company last year, pre-COVID. Technically, I was the first product manager hired but I was hired by my boss, who has a VP title. From the start, I told my boss that I had aspirations to be a product leader. In fact, my dream role is to be a CPO for a large venture-backed product-led company at some point. Anyway, here's my confession. I sort of want my boss's job. It's not that I have anything against my boss at all. He's great and is good to work for. But as long as he's at the company, the end game for me in the next two to three years is to either take his job or leave the company and take on a product leadership role elsewhere. I'm pretty bullish on our company. We've been growing at a decent rate over the past year. We're in an industry where COVID hasn't really impacted us too much. Our team has grown and to his credit, he's given me some opportunities that have let me take on more responsibility and are more leadership oriented. So I don't want to leave. And I don't wish anything badly on my boss. I'm not going to do anything stupid and try to get him fired or anything. But I do want my boss's job. Well, if you have product people reporting to you and you're satisfied with their work and you think they're well on their way to elevating their product career, then they just might be gunning for your job, apparently. <laughs> apparently so. Yeah. <laughs> 
All right, let's get Dan Olson's take on this one. I like how they're brutally honest. And hey, it's natural. That tells me this person has strong career aspirations. And I know plenty of product people that are success oriented and have strong career aspirations. So this is actually a great question. And the interesting thing though, and as we know, one of the most important questions product managers can ask is why? Like, why are you pushing for this feature? Why is that important? The person didn't actually really get crystal clear on why, right? It's just like, I want the job, which sounds um, kind of power grabby. I, I suspect the why is probably something like, I want more responsibility. The, the typical whys are, I want more responsibility. Another why maybe, well, you know, I've been doing this for a while. I'm pretty good at agile. I'm pretty good at customer research. I'm pretty good at working with designers. I want to build some new skills, you know? So I don't want, instead of doing more of the same, I want to build some new skills. So it's interesting the way it comes across, the person just seems like I want it because I want it. They didn't say why. But I think if they, what they should do is take an audit of the skills or responsibilities that they, that they want to grow into. And then they should be able, it sounds like their boss is supportive and it says, Hey, they have let me take on more responsibility and be more leadership oriented. Right. So there are ways to do that. And this gets into a broader thing of like, what's your skills development plan? What's your overall career plan as a product person? And yes, you want to move up, but like, what are the skills you need? And I have seen situations where people, you know, this person works at an early stage startup. Sometimes people can get crazy promotions at early stage startup because their startup's desperate. They don't right. know about levels. And next thing you know, you've got someone with the VP of product title who really has no business being a VP of product and they've never managed people. And now they're in the deep end of the pool and they're sinking. So you got to be careful what you wish for a little bit, yeah. right? And, and make sure you're building the skills to move up. So what are some of those skill gaps that maybe this person isn't really seeing beyond their own ambition to have that title? In general, it's like, you know, how much complexity can you handle? You know, like, you know, doing a feature, or, you know, like managing a sprint is one thing, you know, managing like a quarter or two quarter feature development plan, overall product. So scope of product. There's a natural tactical strategic evolution that happens where you've got to be bigger picture. Yep. You got to let go of the details and, and understand what really matters. And then the other one is, it, this is the funny thing. It's kind of like developers. Like in the developer world, say you're a rockstar developer, your reward for being a rockstar developer is getting promoted to engineering manager, which by the way, yeah. goes, so now you don't code anymore. Now you're managing yep. people. It's a completely different job, yeah. right? You're like, yeah. geez, I really liked coding. And a lot of them, it's like, be careful what you wish for. Like, man, I got to deal with people problems all day and motivating people. And I wish I could still, you know, so same thing with PM. Your head's down. You know, we're always overloaded. There's more work than a PM can do. So you got to be able to manage your, prioritize your work. And it's a tough transition because, you know, PMs, you know, nobody reports to us. You guys know, like my my joke about the product manager's motto is like Spider-Man's motto, except like with great responsibility comes no power. Nobody <laughs> right. reports to us. So I see a lot of good PMs. They learn, hey, if you want it done right, do it yourself. They, they just learn mm -hmm. that they're very self-sufficient because no one is supporting them. And so then you all of a sudden you're a manager and letting go of that control and delegating through others, that yeah. can be a big adjustment. The other thing, a lot more pressure. And I think that's people often like they want all the success um, that comes with it if they're doing well. But there's a lot of pressure that comes from being the VP and being the the defender of all product decisions to the executive branch. I totally agree. And it, it it's it's funny because people no one else reports to you. So engineering doesn't report to you if they slip right. a date. Yep. I've seen I've had clients where like the CEO is like chewing out the head of product for missing a date and the product 
head of products like we didn't do anything wrong like we, <laughs> like we hit all our deadlines but like the person does it's like so you yeah. know again you get the accountability without the without the you know without the power i've seen this happen and look again to be sympathetic you're a star performer or you think you're a star performer let's just assume you are and like you want to know there's plenty of runway to grow and there's no obstacles in your path and look early in my pm career i can totally relate to that right and i was fortunate i had the con the opposite happen where my gm we had two layers of pm management above me leave and into it and instead of back and i moved up one and instead of backfilling the one above me he's like you know what i think you have a lot of potential dan so i'm not going to backfill that so he did me a favor and i so i totally and there have been other situations i've been in where it's like i didn't take a job cuz i'm like you know the person i would report to i don't feel like there's a big enough gap in skills i'm not going to learn from them you know right. if i met if i met someone and they were amazing and i felt like i could learn from them i would take that job but i met them i'm like you know there's not a big enough thing there so i totally relate to what they're saying i think they need to do a little soul searching like you said mike what is it is that the job? Do you want the title? You want the pay? You want yep. the responsibility? You want the skills? Like what is it you're solving for? You know, and I my for me the best answer is always skills and responsibility. That's what you should be solving for. If you are mindful about your skill development and increasingly increasing your responsibility over time, good things will happen and you know, people will realize that and give you more responsibility over time. And look, at the end of the day, it sounds like this leader is willing to work with you. I've seen plenty of up and comer star people have their leaders do what my leader did and like recognize it and creatively create ways to be like okay why don't you lead the next road mapping session you'll do the first draft and I'll review it you know yep. okay why don't you lead the offsite you know or you'll lead the section of the offsite you know there are ways to have like a deputy a strong second you know leader where it's clear that you can carve out a part of the responsibilities for them but look at the end of the day if for some reason you find yourself in that situation and your leader is not supportive then you may have to go to another company to find the right fit with the levels of skill and responsibility that you're looking for. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Okay, before the break, we heard the confession we called climbing the ladder, and that was that's an interesting one for sure. Yeah, I, I appreciate the confession. And hey, this is what we're here for, for you to be honest about your confessions. You know, but... <laughs> well... I don't think you had to be gunning for your boss's job in order to elevate your product career. But again, hey, I'm not judging. I just appreciate the confession. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go for confession number two today. And that confession, I think we're going to see a little more humility in this one. This confession is called, I suck at hiring people. All right. Let's hear it. Here's a confession for you that I bet other managers aren't willing to admit. But hey, you all said that this was going to be anonymous, so screw it. I suck at hiring people. Like, seriously, I haven't made one great hire. In fairness, I'm a new manager. I've only hired two people at my company so far. But in both cases, they were big swings and misses. The one role I hired for was an associate product manager role. I thought I asked the right kinds of interview questions, the references checked out. The other people that interviewed them from my team were 50-50 on the person, but I made the final call and decided to bring the person on board. They were bad. They didn't take much initiative. It turned out that their grasp of the technologies we were using was vastly overstated. After 30 days, it was clear that we had to let the person go. The second role I hired for, 
to replace that person, it ended up being an HR nightmare. On the day that she was supposed to start, I got a cryptic text from her that she would be late. She ended up never arriving and never answered any of my follow-up texts or phone calls. She just ghosted us. She just updated her LinkedIn recently, and I saw that she took on another product role elsewhere. But it was another big miss. I was actually beating myself up about it big time. My company has been cool about things. They seem to still be serious about developing me as a product leader. But my track record isn't starting off so great, at least when it comes to hiring the right people. But... I am definitely doing what I can now to not let strike three happen. Almost the complete opposite of the first confession. Here we're hearing from somebody who admits they just haven't figured out how to make great hires quite yet. Yeah, and as a product leader, uh, somebody who actively coaches and consults with product leaders, this is a topic that comes up with Dan often, I'm sure. So yeah, Dan is the perfect person to talk this one through. This is common. The reality is, I would argue most new managers are in this boat. Because the top thing I would say is hiring people is like anything else in life. You're not an expert day one. You start out not knowing how to do it, riding a bike, you know, managing a sprint, doing user interviews, whatever it is. You start out as a novice and like anything else, you got to get better. You got to learn. You got to make mistakes. You got to learn, right? Now, look, you can try to train ahead of time, read up on it, right? Read books, read blogs, watch videos, courses, all that jazz. But like most things in PM, it's experiential. So what I've seen, and I've helped a lot of my clients actually recruit and grow their teams. My client Medallia, which went public, I helped them earlier went to grow their product team from six to 21. And so we made like a machine, a machine. And it starts with like identifying those key skills and then creating a rubric. It's basically a rubric saying, here's a Google sheet. We're looking for a prioritization, customer centricity, communication, you know, technical competence, whatever it is, you make a list. And you use that with every single person. And then in the interview process, you say, okay, how are we going to assess that? And that's the second thing I'm going to get to. And then, in the, you know, you can divide it up amongst the interviewers and say, okay, you focus on prioritization, you focus on communication, you divvy it up across the interview team, right? And then at the end of the day, you've got coverage of all the key skills. Now you get into, first, I need to know the skills. Then how do I assess those skills in an interview process, right? And you can't just ask at face value, you know? You can't just be like, hey, are you good at prioritization? Yeah, I'm good at prioritization. Okay, cool. Check the box. They said they were good at prioritization. Like you want to be more evidence-based, right? And the general technique to do that is called behavioral interviewing. You say, and you don't come out and say, hey, we're looking for someone who's a prior, good at prioritization. Tell me what you did. You just go, hey, can you tell me an example where you had to prioritize? You know, there was mm -hmm. a long list of features and you got to make tough calls on prioritization. And that's what you do. And so you have to have it be an example. And it's a story that they tell you and they're – you're looking for the direct facts, not just their summary, their glorified summary of, of what they did. You can also, from the LinkedIn profile or the resume, how they talk about things. You know, like, are they talking about results? And this is a good thing for PMs too. We all know this. You want to drive outcomes, not outputs, right? Right. So a weaker PM might say, yeah, I ran 20 sprints. It's like, okay, great. You ran 20 sprints. And then a stronger PM would say, you know, in the last quarter, I launched features that increase conversion by 30%. That's a very different way of talking. Talking about activities, talking about what you did is different than talking about what outcomes did you drive. Right. So part of it too is who's the interview team. Yeah. You got to be mindful of that. So it's like, 
what training are we doing for the interviewers as well and selecting yeah. interviewers that are good at this? So that's what you do. You kind of have the team and say, okay, Michael's good at interviewing prioritization. Let's have him ask about that. Belcito's good at analytics. Let's have him cover that. You know, and just being mindful about it so that you get the data that you want. And then when we hire them and they suck at the things that I hired for, it's not this PM's job to, to you know, it, it, it really is like, hey, you know, we, this was your you're personally accountable to that that focus area, which yeah. spreads out the responsibility. This person seems to be taking on way too much responsibility for a couple bad hires, you know. They're on the hook for what you're saying. It's like, is this person above the quality bar or not? Kind yeah. of a thing. So I think the other thing in thinking about getting data, this is something I've seen popular. I know some people don't like it. You've got the resume and the LinkedIn profile, you've got the data from the interviews mm -hmm. the, in the interview sessions. And then the other thing people do is homework or a challenge. Yeah. And I'm a big fan of this. Now, I know a lot of people don't like it, um, especially I think the biggest mistake companies do, they do too early. Hey, before we even talk to you, do this homework. It's like, right. dude, as much as I like your company, I'm not invested yet, right? So you, you need to do some initial screens, but we would do it near the final end of the process. And it made a huge difference because it gives you another data point. Instead of you telling me you know how to do product strategy, I'm going to give you a park strategy challenge and we'll see how you do. And we'll give you yeah. plenty of time. We do the same and we, we try to only put one or two people through it. Right. Cause we're not trying to waste people's time, but it is that like last check. And so we want to say no to everyone else and then gut check this, this last And And that way, basically you're doing the homework, but you've got the job as long as you don't totally botch it. Yeah. It's like, can you walk the walk? You talk the talk. Now let's see if you can walk the walk a little bit. And then at the end of the day, Look, you've done the interviews, you got your rubric. Some people are going to be clear yeses, some people are going to be clear noes. So some of this is, you know, he even said like, hey, the other interviewers were 50-50, but I said, I made the manager's call and I said, yeah, right. And I look, I understand the pressure. I understand the pressure because you're like, usually you're understaffed in PM. Yeah. You want to get yeah. that warm body in there as soon as possible so you can stop drowning and get your head above water. And so you, so the clear yeses and clear noes are obvious, but you do have these borderline calls. Like, what do you do and where do you draw the line? And what do you do if you have these doubts about it? You kind of think they might be good. And I would just say in general, and this is tough. It's an intuition you got to build over time. But if you're in doubt, you got to listen to that little voice and just trust yeah. your gut. And even though it's painful to go back to the drawing board, you know, the, the, the cost of a bad hire, it's just... It's, it can be very high. And that leads to the, the, one of the most common mistakes people make, especially new managers, is they don't get rid of people they know are bad fast enough. Everybody, whenever they fire someone, they said, I should have done that so much earlier. I knew, yeah. but I wanted to give them a chance. And, th and they're like, you got to give people feedback and give them a chance. And human nature is to be nice. But like, if you do for some reason realize you've made a bad hiring decision, you know, give them the feedback, work with HR, give them a chance to turn around. But if they don't, then just like, you know, call it a spade and move on. And, you know, the one way you get better is learning from mistakes. Unfortunately, hiring mistakes are some of the costliest mistakes, but yeah. you got to be, be willing to do. And I like what you said, too. I thought where you're going is we do a retro, you know, like say somebody didn't work out. Let's get the interview team back together. Let's pull up the rubric and say, what did we miss? Like, what happened? Yeah. It's like a where retrospective. Yeah, it's like an agile retrospective. Like, gosh, we all thought this was going to work out. Like. What yeah. went wrong? And that's how you kind of get better over time. Well, on the positive, this person, they've only got, had made two hires and barely anybody's amazing at their first two hires. And you're giving some really good advice 
uh, in terms of getting a rubric, getting the rest of the team on the same page. So I would like to think they're not going to get that third strike right away. So I think I think this is all good stuff. Yeah, I hope to hear from this person. If you listen to this and you do make a hire, by all means, submit a. We're rooting for you for number three to be a home run here. Um, hopefully, we'll hear from them. We will be right back after a word from our sponsors. Okay, Michael, what did we get from today's confessions? Uh, where to start? Okay, well, we always like to end with two big takeaways from our confessions. I may as well start here. I'll start with the first confession we heard. I think we named that, I want my boss's job. <laughs> I think the big takeaway here is to elevate one's career. It doesn't mean you have to take away from somebody else's. In this case, I understand that the person making the confession saw his boss at the top of the product org chart and they wanted to be at the top of the org chart but you can keep elevating your career as a product leader regardless of your role you don't have to take somebody else's role to be recognized as a leader be proactive about taking others responsibilities be inventive about new projects that can help your company doing things like this they'll get you noticed and hey just like you probably don't plan to stay at your company forever neither does your boss so when the time comes for your company to look for that next CPO, maybe it's you, but it's only going to be you if you've demonstrated that you really are the product leader that they're looking to hire. Yeah, I, I love that. That's a great takeaway, Michael. Um, all right, so I guess it's my turn now. Uh, my big takeaway, I'll pull mine from that confession that was titled, I suck at hiring people. And it's probably fitting because I admit, this was always something I was a little self-conscious about. I remember in the beginning years when I was first hiring people, um, I had some people that gave me a lot of good advice on this front. Um, I'll, I'll give a shout out to Robert Hada, a friend of mine who now is the talent partner at Drive Capital, um, but I used to work with Robert and Robert sort of coached me through those first couple of hires that I made. And because of the advice I got from him um, and, and others in the process, my big takeaway here is going to be that like most things, the people who are best at hiring are often people who've done it a lot. So go out and find those people who are experienced at hiring great talent and learn from them. We're learning from Dan Olson right here in this episode, but think about the times in your career where maybe you noticed that a really great hire was made. Go find the person that made that hire and dig in on it with them. Uh, ask people who have seemed to have made hiring top talent a, a part of their own thing and, and learn how they did it. Hiring, especially when you're at an early stage company, it is really an important thing. So do what you can to increase the odds that you make a great hire, but also know that you're human and you're only going to get better as you reflect on your experiences and, and make an effort to actually learn from them. Oh, that's a good one. That's a great, <laughs> that's a great place to end right here. I, I think so too. So um, we'll go ahead and do that. Thank you everybody for joining us. Um, and once again, next week, two more confessions to dive into here on rocketship.fm. Thank you so much for listening to Rocketship.fm. It is your support that keeps the show going. If you can, take a second and leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps out the show so much. We're also part of the Podglomerate Network. And if you'd like to listen to more great shows from the Podglomerate, go to thepodglomerate.com to see the full show listings. Rocketship.fm is produced in partnership with Product Collective, a community for product people. Go to productcollective.com and get access to our weekly newsletter, live video interviews, Slack community, product job board, and a whole lot more. Again, just go to productcollective.com.